0: I think we're live. Uh, hello, everyone. We'll give a minute or two and uh, let people start uh, seeing the stream show up on LinkedIn, show up in other places. I'll go ahead and check real yep. quick too. Just, to just checking, sure
1: checking YouTube.
0: All right. This is our first our first show, so we're just making sure everything is going right. Uh, I'll say LinkedIn's interesting too because their video stuff there we is go. a bit newer. Alright, we're good on YouTube. We're good yep, on Twitter. I see it too. Alright, let me look on our, our LinkedIn. I think we have some maybe some LinkedIn folks too that have uh have joined. Let me look at our page real quick. Yeah, it looks like we're live. Awesome. All right, and then I'll have LinkedIn up there too. Hi. Hi from LinkedIn. Looks like we got some information from LinkedIn already, right, some some chat. I'll be watching the chat too, so if anyone has questions or wants to interact, uh feel free. So Looking over here, off screen. Let me pause it. All right, now I can interact. <coughs> on the only one that's not integrated for chat. Well, welcome everybody. This is a this is our first uh, state of cloud native. We're going to start doing some some streaming here uh, every week and start talking about some different subjects around uh, cloud native. Uh, today, I've got Esten on with me. Um, I'm Mike Peterson. All right, you got a hi, Esten. Hi. You can put up chat if you want to see it. Uh, Esten on the uh, on the right yeah, side. Yeah. Uh, um. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk a little bit about our journey, uh, going all the way back to maybe like the mid two thousands and what we were doing then, and then how we moved from from bare metal to uh, virtual machines. Uh, I think VMware was was the first thing I really touched, vSphere and stuff, and then moving over to OpenStack, and then how we move from OpenStack to oh man, Docker's here. Like let, let's do containers, yeah. and then moving from just running containers on our our workstations, to actually getting into orchestration, and oh man, Kubernetes is here now, and like how that how that happened how that made things easier how's it going uh, coffee nice nice to see you nice Thanks to meet you us. um how that how that journey was and like what what our experiences were and then if anyone wants to share some of their experiences go for it right we're we're uh it 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 was a, a process and it wasn't super super easy each step was a little bit maybe a little bit more difficult but uh things are a little bit different now things are difficult in a different way right so uh let me go ahead and get started we'll uh We'll have Esten go ahead and go back, take us back, take us back to the mid-2000s. And what's your first, your first real technical thing that you were doing? Like, what were you touching for bare metal and what what kind of stuff were you working on? Oh,
1: let's see here. So we're going to go back down memory lane. We're going to go back to high school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Back in high school, my my mom was a partner in a law office and uh, they were, you know, little rural law office, you know maybe like three or four, you know, admin, you know, three or four admin assistants, uh, an accountant and, you know, a couple lawyers that were running in this office. And, you know, my first, my first uh, experience in running an IT like organization was setting up their central like windows, small business server, um, <laughs> little box that was going to run like, I think it was like PC law 5.3 amicus attorney um, and then it was also running their file share and like their active directory. Um, so you um, had,
0: like email stuff going there and then like maybe like the website and like that kind of thing. And it's just a uh, single large. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we didn't do that. We didn't do it. We didn't do self-hosted email because that was like more than I was going to run in like my spare time as a high school student. And like, it was like my senior year of high school. I was, uh, I was doing this. Uh, and so, you know, got them, um, you know, Dealt with purchasing all the desktops and getting them all hooked up to Active Directory on the Windows Small Business Server, and you know, getting the you know, making sure that P- Amicus Attorney and PC Law were set up together and integrating with each other, um, so that they could sync their con their their workflows up and down back to the server. Set up tape backups and. <laughs>
0: So were, you're just a lot of a lot of reading and trying to figure yourself out looking at manuals and stuff, maybe like doing a little bit of Googling. but it, maybe it, <laughs> it was a
1: lot of trial and error. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was I was I was smart enough to know to know what, I, you know, to to be ambitious and 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 not admit what I didn't know.
0: <laughs> so after that, when you go to you go to college, uh, you stop yep. stop working so much with uh, with bare metal machines. You're going to college. You're learning CS. And then yep. your next touch for that kind of stuff would have been virtual machines. So I'll take, I'll take everyone back to like mid, mid-2000s. I'm working for a, a startup called webmail.us. Um, we're doing email hosting. It takes us a couple of days to get a new email server running. And it is a script that is so long that no one wants to touch it. We're not using package management. We're not using anything. Um, and eventually we ended up getting bought, bought by Rackspace and all that stuff got, got fixed and cleaned up and we moved to virtual machines. But first thing I'm touching is, is bare metal for that. It was, it was a nightmare, right? Like if something happened on provisioning one of the new servers, it just took forever. Um, and then let me move up to – I'll move up right for one more bare metal thing to 2000, 2012. Now I'm working in the, the government sector, mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they're doing everything. I'm running a little lab. We've got probably about three racks, maybe about 20 or 30 servers, and each one of the servers is, is running a specific thing, after active directory. Something's running uh, email. Something's running something else. Um, and that's the first time I really touched VMware vSphere. Uh, and that was my first, my first actual real work with server work with virtual machines. And, and what was the easiest thing to do there was just do a migration. So I'm <laughs> migrating all of these hardware machines onto a single machine. And then like, I'm this wizard. to everybody. They're like, oh man, now we've got all these free servers. What are we going to do? I was like, well, uh, I can set up OpenStack or something like that. So like, that was my first real movement from hardware into into virtual machines and then like i haven't looked back back since then That made it so much easier i'm like showing the value of hey we were using this one server and doing like maybe five percent ten percent utilization now we've got a single server that's hitting like 60 to 70 to 80 mm-hmm. percent we've got all this extra stuff for all these other research and, and projects you want to do like what do you want to do next
1: yeah so i so bet so taking us back a little bit earlier, like I, I after like I graduated, got my computer science degree, I went into digital forensics and spent, you know, spent my, you know, got to, you know, go on site to clients and, you know, collect their, collect their data as, you know, as part of a legal, legal, litigation and stuff like that and you know so i got to experience you know you know file servers and and capturing virtual machines and capturing laptops and all of that and then moved on to working at a little independent software vendor where you know again back to a bare metal machine it's running active directory and you know i find sql server installed right next to
0: active directory which (laughs) we have a question so what do you suggest for a newbie to get into cloud native like any path's uh, any path. So a lot of the, – the, the nice thing about now compared to, say, the mid-2000s when we were really getting into this is that you could do everything on your laptop. Mm-hmm. Previously, like, you needed yeah. access to a server if you really wanted to do much. You could – around know, 2010 or so, you could run a virtual machine and do a couple of things here and there, but that was still kind of new to everybody. Um, f- so for you, like, you can literally run Kubernetes uh, on your laptop. If you have a virtual machine that's running Linux, you can run Kind, so Kubernetes and Docker – uh, you can do it on Mac, it's a little bit easier on Linux. So you can re- literally just start by getting either Docker going or or Kubernetes in Docker, and then just start reading guides and, and start deploying things and messing around with the Kubernetes CLI and start like looking, just playing around yeah. and like, testing and failing and testing and failing and writing your own containers and applications and testing and failing. But you. So my, so my
1: my suggestion on that is, if you're looking on to get to, get to cloud native, start by start by installing Docker Desktop. Um, it's, it's a fabulous tool for starting to get that, that cloud native journey learning, um, where you can, where you where you can build containers, it'll install a local distribution of Kubernetes. So you can, you can play with that. Um, and it's a great way to do it. If you don't have a lot of hardware, um, my journey to to cloud native started, you know, about, it was 2016, I joined a company called Proto Labs. And I joined as a full stack developer, and I then about a year into it, uh, or about six months into it, I joined an, an effort called Automate All Apps, and we, you know, took on automating about you know seventeen different applications that are that our team supported, and really getting these IIS like Windows IIS deployments, you know, running and singing. Um, we were very much a Microsoft shop at that point in time. Um, and so then we started a project um, uh, to modernize our, our infrastructure and actually basically rewrite everything from the ground up. Um, twenty years of software knowledge um, rewritten from the ground up, and one of the ways we started into that was um, trying to get. This was about probably about twenty seventeen that this was how we were doing this. Um, we. Um, I started my cloud cloud native journey trying to get Docker Swarm running on Windows in 2017, <laughs> which at the time was very much the bleeding edge and the blood flowed freely.
0: I say it was a little bit easier for us on Linux. Right? Like it, it just it just ran. Like I'm still I'm still using Docker on Linux and haven't really done it on on Mac as much because I just set up VS Code and then just SSH in.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like the you know a lot of it was learning all right all right this file system thing doesn't work right on windows this this networking thing doesn't work on windows oh docker swarm doesn't really work on windows um let's talk to the let's talk to the technical leadership and say hey if you want this thing to fly we need to move it to linux
0: <laughs> that's a that's a fun question or a fun uh, thing to bring up a window shop too right like
1: oh yeah it doesn't make any fr- it doesn't make any friends in the IT organization. They're like, "Why do you need all these Linux servers?" I'm like, I'm like, "Because I can't do what I want to do on a Windows server."
0: <laughs> so, when you went to when you went to IT, are they running uh like VMware? Are they what are they are they managing yep. stuff bare metal so you're asking just for a couple of VMs to to start running your uh Yeah, your so it was cluster.
1: Uh, yeah, it was initially. So, initially it was all it's all VMware. Uh it was a vSphere shop very much, so. Um and uh, You know, one of the things that we did is eventually I just started building a bunch of like um, a bunch of VMs. And like one of the big things that you have to think about when you're building VMs and building environments and tying them together is how do you do DNS? Like, and like how do you like how do you make sure that the DNS is consistent and meaningful and useful to the humans? Um, <laughs> so that
0: managing, uh, so you're just managing this, this list of, 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 new servers that you're adding all of the time. So you're either using what we're using Microsoft, uh, Microsoft's DNS stuff or we're directory like, uh,
1: DNS. Active yep.
0: right, yeah. <laughs> like or something. Yeah. Like you're just managing this large list and every time a, yeah. new, a new thing would come up, you're adding another thing to it instead of just like Kubernetes, it just kind of figures it out.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so then, so then we moved on so we, we moved into May, being more linux focused and so then what we ended up doing is we ended up uh, we had a small a small team in our organization that was really focused on on linux server development and and using using chef and so that's where i kind of started you know really getting more focused into the devops tooling and learning how to do infrastructure at, you know infrastructure as code um you know at, with chef and so we did cookbooks we did recipes we did Uh, All sorts of stuff. But we were getting to the point where we could automate the creation of Docker swarm clusters. Um, And yeah, so then along came along with that came, you know, figuring out, all right, how do you do wildcard DNS? How do you do layer seven routing? um uh to get the to get the traffic from the external load balancer into the docker swarm hosts so that they could then route it to the appropriate service on you know the 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 right port
0: (laughs) so like so let's go back so our journey so far for me mid-2000s uh custom script to install a mail server move up to using package management to install everything Right. Like uh, and then like by the time you're, you're first starting out with your virtual machines and stuff, are you doing stuff by hand before you get to Chef? Like you're just doing configure, you're, you're copying configuration files to some kind of maybe use an SVM. Oh, or yeah. Like that have it stored or even on your local desktop or a, uh, maybe like a uh, not Confluence then, but like a SharePoint. Well, like and part like, of, configuration. yeah. And part of the reason
1: why, like at the time that we were doing that, that whole migration to a new platform was that. You know, the goal of the Automate All Apps project was to be able to reproduce an environment. And like what we found is we had too many, too many, you know, like bespoke configurations that uh, between the environments that replicating an environment was not possible at that time. Um,
0: You're just and- like close enough. As long as you get it close enough and stuff looked about the same, you were good.
1: Yeah, and so there's a lot of hand tuning of servers, a lot of hand tuning of like you know configurations, dropping passwords and by hand. No, no. Yeah, no, no real like you know not no real good automated management for secrets and stuff like that. And so you know, kind of, kind of, we we moved into more of a where our our servers were no longer pets; they became cattle. and so like that that was kind of our first stage in moving to our cloud native journey was um, getting from the point where you care about your virtual machines or your ser- bare metal servers as pet you know pets that you care and feed and, and maintain to um, turning your turning your servers into cattle that if they uh, misbehave you're turning them into hamburger immediately and spinning up another one.
0: <laughs> another question, uh, do you think there's any risk to cloud technology by other emerging technologies like satellite clouds? You're talking about like uh, I think on-prem type stuff or uh, like edge type stuff. I think people need both, right? Like yep. I think that everyone's kind of needs both. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a risk. I think it's a it's going to be a split like maybe it's expen- it's expensive to run stuff on-prem, too, or even at the edge. So you're going to offset some of that with cloud resources when you need it. It's harder to maybe buy a piece of hardware and throw it in compared to, like, being able to just kind of scale up on the cloud. So it's kind of a mix of both. What do you think? I yeah. See?
1: I mean, so the previous organization I worked at, Proto Labs, is very much an on-prem shop for the most part. Like, all of our compute was on-prem. Um, and, you know, there there's a trade-off that you make uh, choosing on-prem versus cloud or, or choosing hybrid cloud. If you're doing a strictly on-prem, you get a lot of control, um, and you over over you know monthly spend of cost because it's more of a it's more of a capex investment um, instead of an opex investment, and and so like you know your your operational expenses are fairly fixed, um, but you're also looking at a fixed scale. Um, so, like, if you need to, if you need to burst beyond what what you end up, what you end up doing in an on-prem environment is you end up spending uh, for your peak capacity, um, regardless of whether or not you're going to use that peak capacity. Whereas in the cloud, on the other side you spend uh, your it's more of an operational expense you're not investing in the capital to you know rack and stack your machines but you are paying for leasing what what compute you use and so it's basically it's an on-demand model so you can burst uh, really quickly but you also need to take the responsibility and the and do the automation to scale down when you don't need that burst capacity um, to minimize costs so you can you can get aws bills that are 60 70 80 100 90 100k a month very quickly if you start operating at any like type of scale and you know you can basically bleed yourself out in in cloud costs um,
0: Say so some of the expense, too, it's not necessarily just the cost of, of the server. It's the time it takes to figure out configurations, to figure out how much heat you can have if you've got, like, a, a small lab or something like that. Like, it's all these calculations you have to do, and then you place an order, and then it may take, like, a month or two months for that to even get to you because they have to configure the server, especially if you're using, like, a small shot that's doing custom super micro mm-hmm. configurations. Like, it, it's all this time it takes, and then that could be lost opportunity for you to actually, like, create something in that time. So. The, yeah, the trade-off is, like, there's so many things that go into the trade-off, right? Like, it, it also doesn't feel good to, to rely on the cloud for everything. It's it's nice to be able to play around after you've already purchased a server and have it on-prem to do different things and try different things on it, uh, especially since you control more things like the network and, and stuff like that without having to pay extra to have that control.
1: I mean, the, the but the other thing, too, you got to think about there is that does your organization have the um, intellectual control um, power in their in their personnel to operate a data center and how you know can they design the network can they can they is is that within your company's wheelhouse because um there's there's a a certain level of flexibility in not having to invest in that in that knowledge base um by using cloud technologies that you get with using say like aws or azure or gcp or name name your name your favorite cloud provider here Um, uh, but you know, like again, it's that it's that trade-off. You're you're going to pay a premium for um, your compute cost because you you don't have to commit to it in advance. Um, you can get a discount if you do commit in in advance. But uh, you know, if if the if the management of on-prem infrastructure is not in your wheel your company's wheelhouse. There's a there's a there is a a cost to uh, basically learning those skills and bringing those skills to bear um, in an effective manner.
0: I'll say I say I firsthand experienced that. I was working for a government contractor in around 2012 uh, to 2014, and in that time frame, I set up OpenStack For. Them. I did a lot of learning. I did a lot of uh, posting to our our uh, wiki about how to fix it and how to do it. Um, but then when I moved on in 2014 over to an uh, OpenStack company, uh, they tried to upgrade the cluster. And within like a week or two of me leaving, I see on the uh, the OpenStack uh, lists, hey, how do I get Keystone connected back to Active Directory? I can't figure this out. <laughs> Even though I, I had the search and stuff and everything set up for it, 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 stuff had changed just enough that basically what they had running in product, production, it was gone within like a couple of weeks, right? Like So they, they had to start start over from scratch and figure out, hey can we even support OpenStack anymore? Do we have to go back to like using vSphere or something like that or, or vCenter to make this easier for us, right? Like it's it's that fear too, because if you don't have enough people, like, Kubernetes is, is very similar too, right? Like there's not as many Kubernetes engineers out there as there might be like vSphere. So it's scary, right? But there's all, also all these other companies coming up that can help you with that and like be your platform team and and, and help out. So mm-hmm. there's also the benefit of that. All right, so let's, Let's move on to let's see. That was a good, it was a great question, right? Like, um, yeah. What do we What do we move on to now? That kind of that's, silent well, for a
1: second. I, I I kind of, I kind of want to maybe do on a little bit of a tangent to that. So like one uh, of the yeah. thing, so so one of the things like uh, that I do a lot in my free time is I I, I I I I I I I my work is my hobby. I I I do like I I literally call this work creation. <laughs> um. And I have a home lab. I, I, you know, like one of the things that I like to build and and figure out is like how can I build a better you know cloud native system? Like how can I leverage these these or the newer orchestration technologies and deployment technologies that are that are coming out? Like things like Argo CD. Um, like how do I get it to the point where like um, I can provision uh, my images cr- quickly? So at home I have. So at home, I have a rack. I, I've got a I've got a 22U rack that's sitting um, just on the other side of that bar behind me. Um, I can hear it right now. <laughs> it's got four Dell R610 rack servers that I bought off eBay. Um, you know, each has 192 gigs of RAM and uh, dual hexa-core Xeons that are hyper-threaded. Um, and one of them's my file server um, with like I think it's got like 30 terabytes of disks total um and you know across a 24 disk disk shelf and like a six disk array inside the server itself and you know that's it's all structured in true nas and stuff like that uh but it operates as my as basically my nas so that i can use things like nfs for for storage and provisioning of like my kubernetes storage drivers um and my, pervis- my using my persistent volume claims and stuff like that but uh you know i i i deal with all, everything from the hardware up. So uh, I'm responsible for the virtualization environment. I I happen to use Proxmox. It's nice. It's free. It's featured enough that I, I can and easy enough to automate against. Um, I use tools like Packer to build um, custom VM template images so that I can basically. Um, Build that template um, and install all of the updates. So when I create new stuff, I've got a brand, I've got it all up to date. So I don't have to go update it before I install Kubernetes on it. So, and I use that, I use HashiCorp's Packer tool to 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 manage that automation with a combination of Ansible and you know other scripts like that. So kind of building up that 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 bottom layer of my on prem stacks were uh, like okay now i can use ansible to to provision a cluster so i can say i need six nodes with this image type and then i'm going to apply these ansible roles to these three nodes and those three nodes and now i've got you know and then i can deploy you know connect them up to my my pf9
0: cluster and have it provision kubernetes for me right that's a pretty good setup. I guess that's, uh, it also, like now, like you're saying, how do I get into cloud native? Things are cheaper now too than when, mm-hmm. you know, it was like 2005, 2010. Like you've got all these secondhand servers and stuff that you can buy if you want to set up a lab at home where it's not it's not going to cost you what it would cost like an enterprise to get into it. Like they're going to be buying the latest and greatest more than likely. You can go buy something that's like maybe one or two gens back and then start messing around and learning how to actually deploy a Kubernetes cluster locally. Like it's still going to cost
1: you $100 to $150 a month in, in electric. <laughs> <I'll get laughs> run that it. too. But
0: it'll warm, your, it'll warm your basement if, if yeah, you need it. A little right. space you're, heater. You're that solar, like that. That'll be helpful. All right, so, so, so we've gone to, to Docker Swarm. Now, what? when did you make the jump from Docker Swarm to Kubernetes? And what was so, that what was journey like?
1: so it was about a year before i decided to leave protolabs um that uh um i had known that we were going to have to move to kubernetes uh, probably about two years before i started the initial research and building out kubernetes um and so you know along with that that build out so when we had built our product up uh initially we we made trade-off decisions in the or in 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 favor of getting things up to speed faster you know like trade-off decisions on like uh, how we configured the operating system trade-off decisions on how we configured firewalls trade-off decisions on um, how we structured the network for you know a NIST compliance and stuff like that um, you know and so like as you are building out an on-prem you know cloud native infrastructure these are the types of, these are the types of things you have to think about it's like what what type of um, security frameworks do you need to be compliant for? Um, What kind of tooling can you use to validate that you are meeting those compliance requirements? Um, And how can you build as much of that into your base image so that you don't have to worry about it when it comes time to supervision new servers? Um, So that's where I started. Um, And then once I got got a a base image with... that was a boon
0: that have se linux enforcing on and turn it off so that you don't have to worry about security you actually No, I
1: actually went with the ubuntu 2004 because we were in that we were in that centos 7 you know debacle where or <laughs> yeah it's like it's like oh centos 8 is now is now end of life and you're moving to centos stream and I can't uh, like no <laughs> no I'm not going to do this so we we're moving to uh, we were moving to ubuntu 2004 at the time and uh we ended up uh Uh, I ended up uh, getting them uh, an automation suite set up that I could make my um, uh, servers, I think within like 28 high and medium findings or so plus or minus um, of having the Ubuntu CIS level two um, uh, uh, standard uh, for um, securing the machine. So that included like, you know, host-based firewalls that locked down anything that wasn't that wasn't explicitly opened and you know removing any services that weren't explicitly needed um all that all so, of that like
0: extra protection beyond like your network team like what they're doing on the uh, their yeah, firewall ba-
1: basically i was designing i was designing my servers to be islands um <laughs> I, did, I didn't i didn't want to trust i didn't want to trust the network i didn't want to trust the you know you know anything that to, that I couldn't control, so I was basically trying to make my servers as hardened as possible, so that you know I could do defense in depth. And then uh, once I got that started, I started trying trying to figure out, all right, how do I build an on-prem Kubernetes cluster? So you know, um, we had uh, some security concerns that we had to take into account, um, uh, both from a government regulation standpoint and from like a PCI compliance standpoint. Um, and so one of the things I was starting to look for was Kubernetes distributions that you know took a more security forward per, uh, uh, stance. So we ended up uh, implementing uh, Rancher's RKE2 um uh just because I, I it was uh it was uh, the easiest one to achieve uh the Kubernetes CIS compliance standard um uh, uh and so. They, and they had a they had a guide for how to get to that to that full compliance on that, and so ended up figuring out how to spin that up automatically, designing uh, designing it with an HA proxy load balancer in front of it to do the external load balancing across all the nodes, so that you know. I could use Ingress and have you know traffic routed to the nodes and basically expand the expand the network as I needed, and also making sure that those lo- those load balancers were set up in an HA pair so that if one happened to go down or I needed to do maintenance on one, I could take one down and and have the virtual IP automatically flip over to the other one. Um, but yeah, kind of taking that, figuring out how to get the. Um, and actually, before I even started reaching out to RKE2, I, I started out with playing around with kubeADM, trying to figure out how how do I provision a Kubernetes cluster using kubeADM. Cube and then I moved, I'm like I'm like no, this is a bad idea. <laughs> what do you
0: think this is? This is 2000, 2020, 2019. This
1: is uh, about. 2020-ish, uh, 2020 ish yeah no 20 yeah 2020 ish is about when I when I starting to do this and this is Why this is, is as
0: a... to kubernetes was it just because like that seemed like where everyone was going or
1: um, we were actually hitting real limits on the maximum number of n- nodes we could put in a single docker network um, so we were hitting that uh, docker swarms uh, software-defined networking has an uh, Uh, virtual networks that basically are limited, are, are configured in a slash 24. And we were getting to the point where we had containers. We had our, the number of replicas that we were running was, was getting to the point where we were running into real IP limits on a slash 24. Um, and. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: a lot. (laughs) Anyone have any, uh, any other questions or comments or, uh, I'm sure that uh, most of the journeys people have made so far to Kubernetes are probably pretty similar, right? Like you start out, if you start in the mid 2000s or so, you're starting out with bare metal, you're moving to virtual machines. So you're probably learning how to do vSphere and vCenter. After that, maybe, maybe you, you use OpenStack or maybe you use AWS or something like that. And you learn the whole cloud init model and, and cloud images and how to, how to deploy with that. And then after that, maybe containers. Okay, I will mm-hmm. say this. Okay. So the movement from virtual machines to containers when supporting developers was amazing. Right? Oh, yeah. So not only did I have to stop caring which version of an OS I was using for the virtual machine because they wanted specific version of MySQL or something else, I could just be like, all right, go go set up your image for it, and you can do whatever you want, and I don't have to manage which packages you're using. I don't have to worry about if I'm using CentOS or Ubuntu. Like, I moved... Originally, I installed OpenStack mm-hmm. on uh, CentOS, and I was giving everyone CentOS a... Uh, Virtual machines and stuff but then I realized very quickly that the, the job developers are supporting they wanted the latest and greatest everything and I couldn't yep. easily do that even with uh, like the the rel uh, additional packages um, so I moved to Ubuntu and, and that made it a little bit easier but then yep. teaching the developers to deploy a virtual machine on OpenStack was still was still not the greatest experience right? I, I would have something like a, a developer would launch a VM and then try to cancel it real quick and then ask me why it wasn't working. <laughs> <something like> <laughs> do all these commands. but like even just giving someone a full virtual machine, that might be too much. Like but if I can just give them a, a container or some way to containerize their their code and they can just deploy it to where I'm not worrying about tomcat or or like if their jars getting placed in there and I'm just deploying their their containers that they wrote and and worked on on their local machine. It, it made my day so much easier. And infrastructure
1: that is what that is one of the big things that you get out of the moving to containerized deployment model is that um, the arc, the artifact that gets created is versioned um, if you do it right so if you, if you if you set up your continuous delivery pipeline such that they're building it and they're tagging it with a, a build number or a commit number um, you can get it to the point where you know for sure what artifacts went out is the one uh, that the artifact that you wanted to deploy is the artifact you want to deploy. And you've got you know, uh, some guarantees around that. Um, the other nice thing about it is, is that it's a universal package right it's not you you're it's no there's no question about did you install these dependencies there's no question about did you did you t- toggle this config file you're like no no i deployed your image <laughs>
0: it was working on my machine and then you were like what version of tomcat are you using does that matter like what yeah. version <laughs>
1: Um, there's another benefit to it as well, if, especially if you start build, uh, especially if you start scaling teams. Like um, when I was uh, working as the as the principal DevOps engineer for Proto Labs, um, one of the we had we had our platform operations team, which I was uh, the lead on, and then we had our our platform engineering team which was um designed to developing like the developer focused like tooling like things like uh, what, providing them a common logging abstraction a common metrics abstraction uh, a common tracing abstraction um and one of the things that we did in conjunction with them is built a set of base images that we pre-configured with all of the all of the packages we needed for you know hooking up to things like net, uh, uh, like a New Relic or Datadog, um, things for like um, f- uh, configuration settings for the .NET framework or Java or you know a, like common enterprise level configurations that we that we as an operations team and a, and a platform team all decided that these shall be the configs. Thou shalt not change them.
0: (laughs) So also like, if you go back to say like OpenStack and stuff too, and even like the Docker swarm, like you start with OpenStack, I started running into, like for most customers, we ran into issues with either Neutron or RabbitMQ. So as we scaled up, networking started failing because the amount of network information I had to keep was getting too large. And then RabbitMQ would start failing because the queues were getting too too big and too much traffic was needed, right? So Mm -hmm. it was difficult to scale VMs. As you move to containers, you can start scaling a lot easier but the complexity moves, right? Like it's not necessarily mm. complexity around networking and stuff. It's it's around other things, like how do I how do I create more worker nodes fast enough to scale, and then how do I remove those worker nodes if I need to scale back down? So do you mm. have any do you have any insights into into the scale and the complexity, like how the complexity moved and where it's moved more to? So or...
1: I mean, I mean, the the biggest part of it is you is that. You have to think about the system holistically when you're moving to a container, uh, a, a containerized world, and then moving to a cloud native ecosystem. Like, it, it, as a platform operator, you have to think, start thinking about, all right, how, what tooling are we going to use for ingress, like, and and then get everyone to use the same tooling, right? Um, and and so so that way you don't have to worry about like okay i'm gonna you know this person's gonna use istio this person's gonna use nginx ingress this person's using haproxy like no take that away from the developers as a as an as a decision entirely well,
0: you
1: give the you give them the 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 ingress layer and then you say use this resource
0: <laughs> how you use it because compl- like the Everything around the ecosystem is like changing so fast too. And something comes out and everyone's like, I want to try this brand new thing, but you haven't had a chance to actually work on it or use it. So it's, yeah, it's like, you can't have a hundred developers using a different, different ingress setup, right? Like, and then like if, well, and, and so and
1: so like one of the things that, you know you you get is like okay we don't want everyone using different logging packages we don't want everyone using different mass metrics packages we don't want every everyone using different messaging paradigms because if you because then we can't scale then we can't scale them or or know how they work so like you know like one of the reasons we we moved away from RabbitMQ as a messaging solution was that one. We didn't have people on on the operations team who knew how to operate it well enough and scale it at, and and manage and keep it healthy. And two, there there were other sol- there were other tools that and 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 distribution things that we that we just couldn't do. So we we off we we decided that rather than trying to operate our own messaging solution, we farmed it up to Azure and used Azure Meshes bus. And it was it was one of those things where it was like. We got and a, a tremendous increase in reliability. We got a tremendous increase in uh, in in capability, and we didn't have to manage then operate it to to keep a certain level of um, nines that everyone would be happy with.
0: That's perfect. Yeah, like uh, so when did? Here's a question, I guess. When did you move from? the idea of your in infrastructure and operations to, oh, I need to build a platform so that people can just use it, right? Like that's the big change too, is you went from, I'm just a systems administrator. Oh, I'm just a systems engineer. Oh, I'm, I do the, the computer part or I do the server part and then the networking team handles this other part. So you've gone from being you know, singular in what you work on to having to be a full platform and, and offering to somebody that they don't have to make those decisions.
1: I, I, I'm a DevOps engineer. And and, 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 basi- and basically the way I describe my job is that I need to be a mile deep and a mile wide. Um, <laughs> I need to have an understanding at the application level so that I can converse with developers and figuring what it is that they actually need. And then be able to take those needs across multiple teams and, and and say, all right, here's the common subset across 80, 90% of them, right? How can I take that out of their day-to-day concerns and raise it up to a platform level so that I can operate it at scale, right?
0: How large and that, do you say your platform team was uh, in your previous role? Um,
1: in the heyday, it was about 10 people. Um, and that was just the operations side of it and the engineering side of it had probably another six people on top of that who are focused on building like actual like native packages that would be the, our con- that would be our team's contract to the developers right and that and that's one, one of those things that's where you, as, as you start thinking about clear cloud native journey it's not just a Oh, here's Kubernetes. Let's just throw Kubernetes out there. Oh, here's a Helm chart. Let's throw this Helm chart out there. Oh, uh, oh, why isn't this working together? It's because you didn't think about it as a holistic system. Like it's like, you know, how do you make it so that you know how do you make it so that developers can go faster? You start thinking about how do I remove concerns from the developers so that they can focus on business logic
0: how easy was it to find a new member and get them up to speed on the platform team after you made these decisions? And like the background has to be something related to like, maybe they knew how to do it before Kubernetes came along. Right. Like, or like, could our, you just take a, a Linux engineer and be like, Hey, can you, can you just take over this? Or did they have to have some kind of background? Right.
1: I mean, our onboarding, our onboarding, once we found someone that
0: we want that we wanted to, was about six to eight months. Um, and then in that same time, <laughs> was it common to like lose somebody too, to, to like some other new like startup or like something, some new exciting thing after they learned how to do it?
1: It's, it's difficult to keep people, um, uh, you, there's always that retention problem because like the problem with a DevOps engineer is that we are a scarce breed of resource. Um, you know, it's like, it's hard to find someone who's got that develop developer mindset, who's comfortable, Understanding all of the 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 all the the pieces in the stack and on the operations side, and being able to tie them together in a way that's that's meaningful and can draw, deliver business value. It's there 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 is not a lot of people who have that breadth and depth of experience to 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 go uh, and do that um, on a regular basis. And it's it, I mean it's one of those things where it's just like you just got to keep experimenting. I mean I've I've gotten my I've gotten my, my, my master's in software engineering. I have a graduate certificate in computer security and embedded systems. And then, you know, you top out, top off, you know, going and getting my CKA uh, certified Kubernetes administrator certification. I'm pursuing my certified Kubernetes security specialist cert. I'm pursuing my certified Kubernetes application developer cert. Um, You are not done learning. Like, if you choose to take the path of the DevOps engineer, <laughs> it is it is a it is a path of of continuous and unending study because something new is always coming out.
0: i so say back in the day, someone asked me, how do I get into this? I'm like, oh, go get your CCNA and go get your uh, RHC, right? Or get your RHCTA <laughs> or whatever, like the original ones. Like, go do that and you'll be set because that'll teach you everything you need to know. Now it's so much more than that because you could tell someone, to go get your RHCE, right? Like you want to do Linux, go get your RCE. If you want to do networking, go get your CCNA. But at some point around 2010 or early 2000, like you need both of these because you can't just concentrate on the servers anymore. You need to know how the network works. You need to understand that to be able to actually create like like OpenStack. You can't just know how a single server works. I need to know how the networking works because I got to configure that, right? Like I got to tell the networking engineers what I need um, on their side. And then I still have to configure it so that these servers can talk to each other. So you're talking about Moving from single servers to distributed systems, the complexity goes up. Now, I'm not saying this to dishearten anyone from from learning it. Definitely, dive into DevOps. Start learning everything. If you like to learn things, go into it, right? But for the practitioner, go learn it because it's high demand, and it's awesome, and it's interesting, and you're always going to be learning new things. And for the people hiring those people, it takes a little while to get them up to speed, right? Like, it's going to take an investment to get there. Uh, It does. Especially if you get someone who can champion things, but then... You always gotta move. You gotta worry about like the next biggest and greatest thing. So, <laughs> well, and 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 the way I, I look at it, with that mindset, right? Like you're always learning. Yeah. So you're always wanting something new. And if someone stops doing something new and innovating, then you might want to move on, right?
1: Like right. I mean, there's always that risk. Um, and but you know, on on the flip side too, is like Kubernetes is not a panacea. Um, it it, it if you know if you're in an organization that that can't manage the complexity of Kubernetes. Find find a provider that can manage the complexity of Kubernetes for you, um, because um, it, it's at three releases a year, um, and you know it's it's not a it is not a small endeavor to take on.
0: <laughs> but that can also that can also buy you time to where you can mm-hmm. start working on it while someone's getting up to speed, while you have right. more people getting up to speed and they're sharing knowledge and learning, and then your developers can at least have something that they're already kind of getting used to and using so yeah all kinds of all kinds of uh i don't know interesting stuff out there to learn around it let me uh let me think what, what can we go on to next so you've gone to you've gone to cloud native basically what is what has your day gone from managing virtual machines and setting up maybe nginx and nginx configurations to managing kubernetes and setting up ingress and stuff like that like it removes the complexity from being on a single server but now you're focused on so many more things than just like a singular oh i'm the I'm the Apache I'm the engine administrator that does everything now. Like that stuff's taken care of. Like I can get a script with let's encrypt. No problem. Like is load balancing and that kind of stuff taken care of. So like, what do you worry about now?
1: So, so right now I I worry, what I worry about is how do I, how do I keep all of those components up to date? Right. Um, vulnerabilities will come out and every, every day, you know, new packages will come up. How do I get, how do I get to the point where I can deploy new versions of my software quickly, reliably, and, uh, when I need them to roll out and and then test to make sure that my end-to-end stack is still operational and meeting all of the contracts that I laid out to my developers that I said I would meet.
0: Awesome. I think we're coming to time. So let me, uh, let me give some information. So I'll say, if you want, if you want to talk to us, join Slack. So here's our Slack information. Um, the channel that's associated with, uh, I'll flash this back in a minute. This, the channel that's associated with this stream, we're doing it uh, every week, is going to be Seattle uh, Cloud Native. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can either post on LinkedIn or you can uh, hop in there and um, I'm at Impedison. So let me put the join with Slack while we, uh, join us on Slack while we uh, finish this up. But yeah, definitely reach out, like reach out to us. We'll set you up with one of our, one of our wizards that can, that can help answer your questions or uh, help give you some guidance or uh, show you show you what our platform's about and how we can uh, demo things and make Kubernetes a little bit easier and maybe expand on your on your platform team. But let's see. Let's think. What else do we want to talk about? So now now you're a Kubernetes wizard. You're always managing stuff. Everything <laughs> the complexity's moved out of it. What's the next interesting thing you're looking at? Is it Argo? Is it like what's so, your excitement around?
1: So like my 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 research area that I really like to spend time in is like how do I build my how do I build my platform my, for my home lab better right? Um, So right now, what I'm currently digging into is how can I leverage Argo CD um, to deliver um, a a standardized platform for my Kubernetes clusters so that I can just spin up a cluster and then have it and then deploy one Argo app and have everything that I need, one or two Argo apps and have everything I need to have an operational Kubernetes cluster. But along with that, what I'm looking at is, all right how how do i spin that cluster how do i spin that initial management cluster up in my environment so like how do i get how do i get my kubernetes, my initial kubernetes cluster cuz you've got a you always have a chicken and the egg uh, scenario if you're if you're built trying to build a platform in your home lab it's like what you know what do you need first to produce the other things and so like you're trying to figure out like how do i get that you know initial seed so then I can use that initial seed to provision everything else. So I'm thinking about like, how do I provision Argo CD on a central management cluster? How do I provision Cortex on a central management cluster? Um, and then tie in all the different Prometheus instances on all my different clusters into Cortex. So I get a centralized single pane of glass view of all of my clusters. How do how do I s- spin up centralized logging? Like so, I'm I'm probably going to end up looking at either an EFK stack or a Grafana stack, a uh, Grafana Loki stack, so that I can do centralized logging in my in my environment, and then have all of that feed up to to my stuff. And then like, once I get those like core management pieces set up in my lab, all right, now I've got my management cluster. How do I then set up my 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 Clusters downstream that will, you know, have like my what ingress provider am I going to use? What secrets provider am I going to use? Um, how do I deliver those initial secrets so that I can initialize the secrets provider in a secure manner and u- utilizing GitOps. Um, and yeah, remind you,
0: this is thinking about your home lab. This is thinking about like the stuff,
1: right? <laughs> Yeah. So th- this is like, and then, and then like, how do I get my home lab up, hooked up with SSOs? So, like, I have my own personal Jump Cloud account for 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 man for having an LDAP uh, solution, and you know, like, how do I set that up so that I can use my LDAP uh, through Jump Cloud to sign in to all of these services and manage them uh, with single sign-on.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Essen. Thank you. Uh... So much for everyone else's time too that joined. I hope uh, someone or everyone got something out of this. And like I said, if you want to reach out to us, uh, we can hook you up with someone to uh, talk about your journey and and what you're trying to do and see if we can help out. uh, But join us again next week. We'll have some more topics to talk about. We're going to be on here Fridays at 11. Um, Interact with us on LinkedIn. Reach out on Slack. uh, Comment on YouTube uh, or Twitch. And uh, we'll be happy to talk to you. All right, Dustin. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.